Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, you are listening to Mortification of Spin. My name is Todd Pruitt, and I am joined, as always, by Amy Bird and Carl Truman. And we are really excited to have a special guest with us today. Her name is Rosaria Butterfield. She is the author of two really wonderful books that we have referenced before on this program. In fact, we've talked about Rosaria a lot behind her back, but now we actually get to talk with her in person. And uh, so, Rosaria, so good to have you with us. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. It's only downhill from now, though. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, I, mostly downhill for you, probably, uh, because uh, the experience of being a guest on this program, I think, is not for the faint of heart. And uh, you being a fairly bold person, brave and courageous, decided to uh, come on with us. As I said, we, we've referenced both of your books at various times because all three of us have, have found your books to be very, very helpful in a lot of different ways. So thought-provoking. Very thought-provoking, very very challenging, very gracious, and very clear on some really, really important uh, topics. Um, obviously, oftentimes, you are asked to speak on and, and address issues related to human sexuality, and, th- and that's great. You do a wonderful job of that. Um, but one of the things that I want to be sure that people don't miss is that you actually have some really helpful things to say on a lot of other issues as well. And um, for instance, in your book, Openness Unhindered, you continue to talk about themes of hospitality, which you bring up in, in your first book. But you also have some really wonderful things that you've written about sanctification hmm. in your second book that I really have benefited from and have, and have appreciated being able to point people to. Not because you've discovered some new truth, but you just do a really good job with the biblical material teaching the scope of what uh, the word gives us in regard to sanctification. So we're we're very happy that you're writing books and uh, hope that that will continue. So thanks for being on with us. I wonder, let's just let's just hit this topic right off the bat. The issue of hospitality. You are currently working on a book on the subject of hospitality mm-hmm. that Crossway is going to be publishing. It is going to be entitled The Jesus Paradox, Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality in a Post-Christian World. We had you out at our church in the Shenandoah Valley around a year ago, and you made this comment, the gospel comes with a house key. Mm-hmm. And that comment has stuck with me because it was really powerful for the mm-hmm. folks that were there. And mm-hmm. I wonder if you would just unpack that for a moment. Yeah, Absolutely. So I think that hospitality is very much the ground zero of the Christian walk and the Christian faith. And, you know, I was not raised on the right side of the track. So I'm, you know, I offend people all the time. And I don't don't really intend it. I don't get up in the morning and say, okay, I'm going to offend the, you know, the good, the, the kind sentimentality of my Christian friends and neighbors. But I spent most of my formative years in the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. And in that community, someone's home is open every night of the week for food or for fellowship or just to stand between you and suicide mm-hmm. or drugs. And I just thought that's how a community 
works. And when, when by, by God's grace, he rescued me and took me for his own, I thought that's how the church worked. And I, I was sad to discover that that's not how the church works, that the church does not work the way it appears in the book of Acts, that the church does not really take seriously that it is a family. And so when Kent and I got married, we were committed to having our house look and be different, be a kind of way station for the family of God, but also be a place where unbelievers could come and hear the Psalms sung and and see what it's like when Jesus enters a conversation, not to end it, but to deepen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you said something, I can't remember which book, it, I, th- I think it was in your second book, that stuck out to me. I think you alluded to it in your first book as well. But you said the LGBT community values hospitality and applies it with skill, sacrifice, and integrity. Indeed, I hone the hospitality gifts that I use today as a pastor's wife in my queer community. Yeah, that's right. And I just thought, wow, you know, it made me ask, what can we learn from the queer community regarding hospitality? Yeah, yeah. And so, and I guess what I would want to say, too, is we can certainly appreciate it when other communities practice hospitality. But but I would say that we have more to learn from the Bible about how to be genuinely hospitable than we do necessarily from the queer community. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, there was something powerful about the way that the LGBTQ community came together specifically during the AIDS crisis mm-hmm. in America. You know, there is there is nothing not a thing that connected the L, the G, the B, the T, the Q before AIDS. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is no bigger difference, you know, in terms of a gendered concept of personhood between a woman who identifies as a lesbian and a man who identifies as gay. So it really was a hardship and a being sort of thrown together in this lot that no one had chosen that did create this community. But, you know, by God's grace, God's people have a lot more to work with, you know, and I think when, when I was saying, um, Todd, when I was at your church talking about the gospel comes with a house key, that's actually the, the, the kind of centerpiece chapter of the book I'm writing right now. I'm looking there specifically at Mark 10, where Peter says uh, to Jesus, you know, we have given up everything to follow you. And Jesus has a response that's really instructive. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold Mm. now and this time. Mm Mm-hmm houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come Mm. eternal life. Now, I will tell you that for the most part, people who have had to leave lovers and households and families, because that was the necessary cross that God in his mercy gave to us in order to be part of the family of God. I don't hear many people genuinely experiencing a hundredfold return. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Instead, I hear folks, faithful, faithful Christians who had, by God's mercy, left their lesbian lovers to come to Christ, talk about crushing loneliness. Yeah. And that ought not be. Right. Yeah. And, and so it, it seems to me really that we would do well to think about hospitality, maybe this in a similar way that we do tithing. You know, at the end of the year, you see your tithe statement from your church. And you know what? It should hurt. You should look at that. Mm. And, it, and it should smart. It should really catch you by surprise. And in the same way, you're either practicing it in an ordinary way, in a daily ordinary way, or you are so bad off, you are receiving it in a very ordinary daily way. And, and obviously, there, we don't want to make this a works righteousness issue. There are seasons in life when it is absolutely necessary that people be able to close the doors of their home. If you have, you know, if a child has just been born to you or an adopt, a child has just been adopted, uh, you know, into your home and you just need to keep things pretty stable. You have an aged parent um, who's not well. There are seasons, of course, when home needs to be private. But if you look around your church and if no one is practicing in a daily way, radically ordinary hospitality, that's a toxic issue. And it's an issue that the watching world can see maybe even more in a more perceptive way than we can. Why did the church go so wrong on this, Rosario? If you say this is a common phenomenon, that the people you know who've been converted out of a sort of queer community don't find the equivalent mm-hmm. in the church. What are the origins of that? Why is, why is this such a big problem at the moment? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, you're the historian. I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I'd love to hear you speak on that subject. But I well, I'm also the Englishman, so I don't really think it's a problem, but uh, <laughs> being antisocial. But. <laughs> well, you know, it, it seems to me that certain things go hand in hand with a lack of hospitality. One is a weak understanding of sin, specifically original sin a uh, semi-Pelagiast understanding or a Catholic understanding that, you know, sin is, original sin especially, is really not a big deal and the sacraments will just kind of clean it up. But I think if we do understand that we are daily made corrupt and guilty by original sin, made uh, distracted and full of temptation, if not more than that, um, by actual sin, and that we are manipulated by indwelling sin, if, if we have a real sense of that, then we aren't going to be so quick to have a sentimental approach to what we perceive to be our neighbor's problems. You know, we're not going to be so quick to assume that our neighbors are just people who have not made the good choices that we've made. Um, we, we won't be so quick to assume that all of our neighbors who are, you know, obviously sinning need to do is get cleaned up in a kind of behavioral or moral way, because we will remember that we were people who were so bad off, we needed to be rescued. You know, sin is not taking the wrong exit on the highway. (laughs) Sin is deception, and deception means being taken captive by an evil force to do its bidding. 
when you are deceived by your sin, you need someone to rescue you. And so I think a truly hospitable Christian community has its its theology in in hand, and it doesn't really, you know, it sees the cruelty of an Arminian theology that just says, hey, you know, snap out of it. Hmm. You know, make the right choices. That gay, quote-unquote, lifestyle, just walk away from it. I mean, I didn't walk away from a lifestyle. What is a lifestyle, anyway? I, I guess it's like a hairstyle. Um, you know, I, I died to a life, and, mm. and so did you. And so mm. I think, first, a clear understanding that sin is much worse than what most churches like to think it is, and that Jesus is much more merciful as well. Mm-hmm. So those would be good places to start. Mm, that's good. Do you think that that the church gets um, also kind of sentimental when it even comes to hospitality? I mean, I, I think of, you know, your story of how you were invited into a pastor's home and to be friends. Mm-hmm, right. But then I think the church, you know, we have something called like friendship evangelism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, what right. would you say would be the difference there between um, you know our tactics and for friendship evangelism and and hospitality? Right, right, right. Well, one is programmatic and one is relational. Mm-hmm. So I had written an article that a New York newspaper had taken up, and they gave it the title "Promise Keepers' Message Is a Threat to Democracy." And I had just co-authored the university's domestic partnership policy, which is the policy program for gay marriage. Although I didn't believe in gay marriage at all. In fact, I loved the fact that there is nothing monogamous about gay. And I used to say to people, why, why add good people to a sick institution? But mm. I understood the political yeah. pragmatism of it. Mm-hmm. And one of the young elders in the Syracuse church put the article on Ken Smith's desk and said, you know, we need to shut this woman up. Mm. She is trouble. <laughs> And Ken just looked up and said, well, you know, maybe Floy and I should invite her over for dinner. Can you imagine? The <laughs> I'd like elder? to get to know this woman. <laughs> you, you know, he probably walked away, you know, thinking, well, you know, that man needs to retire. <laughs> he just needs to, you know, cash it in. But I think that was the key thing was that there wasn't, you know, we are a small nobody has heard of, nobody cares about Presbyterian denomination. We don't have programs. It didn't have to go through the, you know, the deacon board to see if they could afford, you know, one more, you know, challenging person like me. (laughs) The, The pastor and his wife did the thing that over the, you know, centuries Christians do. They, they invited a stranger to cross the threshold of a door. Mm. And then what they did when I got there was they were genuinely Christian people. So they didn't change their life for me. Right. Their home was remarkable because it reminded me of my home. I mean, the door kept opening and people kept coming mm. in. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was these were not private affairs. Anything could happen. Anyone could say anything. Um, and in, in, in their house, the Bibles would open when people would talk about things and they'd kind of work through things. And it was it was fascinating. I mean, I'm, I'm trained as an English professor. Just the way that people were using a text in a responsible way was, you know, I just, I hunger for that. I think we all do. Um, they were also psalm singers. We are psalm singers. And 
And so it was not at all unusual in their home at some point for the conversation to turn to a psalm and then for the Bible to be shelved and the Psalter opened up. And and these people were musically literate. Uh, They could sing four-part harmony. It was it was compelling. And so over the course of my time in the Smith's home, I watched people read the Bible to answer real life questions. I watched people disagree. I watched people treat the Bible like it wasn't a museum piece, but (laughs) something you could lean hard on. I watched people sing the Psalms and that was I'm trained musically and that was that was phenomenal because the aesthetic beauty of four part harmony in contrast to words that I absolutely hated mm. was completely disarming. Mm. And then in addition to that, they just folded me in. I was just a friend. I was a neighbor. Um, and in Syracuse, you know, that's that's serious business. You get these well, I guess you guys have this weather too. See here in North Carolina <laughs> You know, we we don't have this, but you know, you get you get dumped with two feet of snow, and it's it's a big deal, right? Yeah. And so they were checking in on me, and and even though I didn't like to admit it, my life was easier with these Christians in it. Hmm. Wow. You know, as as you describe this, every time I've I've heard you talk about hospitality or read it, you know, I I'm, I'm challenged. I I hear myself saying, okay, you know, I do hospitality up to this time. We've had people over this many times. I need to do more. And, and, but, you know, it's, it's costly mm-hmm. to do yes, hospitality is. well, isn't it? And, and I wonder if you'd, people need to, to be ready to, to pay mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 the price to be hospitable, to not have super romantic notions about it. But what are what are some of the common uh, costs, right. as it were? That's a great to do hospitality well. That's a great question, and I think it really it obviously depends upon where where you are and and what you do. But yeah. I um, I would say that you should expect that your hospitality budget would increase your family's regular food budget by about five hundred dollars a month. Um, <laughs> that's if you're doing daily hospitality, which is what we do. Right. Um, but I should also let you know that if you do that, if you set yourself up to be a home that is hospitable and your neighbors, they know it, you've pushed the grill to the front yard. Mm-hmm. You've, you've worked hard to get to know the neighbors, especially the unlovable ones. Right. You've really committed yourself to being earthly good to the, the women next door who identify as lesbian or the men across the street who identify as gay and are necessarily not trustworthy of you. Right. You learn how to address them in front of their children because you want to be respectful, those kinds of things. If you do that, people will buy in. I mean, we are constantly being gifted to continue to practice hospitality, mm-hmm. whether it's anonymous cash gifts that are literally taped to our front door Mm. or uh, single friends who just buy in and say, well, I'm covering Tuesday night at your house. You know, know, those, those kinds of things. So, so I would say you definitely, again, very much like your tithe statement at the end of the year, you should look at it and it should hurt. Yeah. Yeah. My mom is a very good model of hospitality. All types different types of people and it is funny what you say how people buy into it because sometimes people will show up 
mm-hmm. and be like, here, I've brought, you know, all these toiletries for you because I know that you have people staying over all the time, you know, and it's like giving her extra toothbrushes and toothpaste and mouthwash and all, just all those little things, you know? Absolutely. And I would say to that, too, that if we take care of our own in that way, what we can do is set an example of church-sponsored care. And I think this is extremely helpful in a world that doesn't understand why religious liberty matters. So, you know, for example, there's a there's an organization that, that churches can get involved in called Safe Family. And you may already be doing that. And in our church, we have a couple of households that are Safe Family licensed. Um, ours is working on licensure right now. It's a little bit like foster care, except it's a Christian-run program. It is not exclusively Christian, mm-hmm. but it's, um, it focuses predominantly on the family of God keeping families together rather than separating children from their families. Hmm. And if you are a safe family licensed home, you can help with all kinds of ways in keeping the family together. And, um, and so at this point, most of the Department of Family Services that would be the, the welfare state, they are really maxed out in terms of their, um, their foster families and the, and the care that they can give. And, you know, and there's a difference between a child that needs to be cared for because the house was flooded and a mm-hmm. child that needs to be cared for because mom is a heroin addict. Right. Those right. Are, there are different reasons. Mm-hmm. And I think a church, when a church says, look, poverty is not a sin, and this is also a very helpful way that the church can cross class boundaries because ultimately hospitality means loving the stranger. And we don't know how to even meet the stranger, mm-hmm. least of all, love her. Yeah. So, you know, partnering with, with programs that actually get you into a real relationship with people you would not know without them is a, just, a, it's just a good idea for the church. And it's a good witness, too. Yeah. And how, you know, oftentimes I will hear people explain why they don't have people in their home by saying things like, you know, well, you know, I'm just an introvert. Well, Mm -hmm. I mean, I I tend to be kind of introverted. I like Mm -hmm. to be around people. And then all of a sudden I hit the wall and I just want to be in a room by myself. So I, I mean, I get that, but it doesn't work as an excuse as far as not having what what would you say to the person that just says you know emotionally i just don't have the bandwidth or 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 those kinds of things well i mean i would say start you know start where you are right start with your neighbors Mm -hmm. move from there but ultimately there's a reason i get up at four o'clock in the morning it's not just because i'm quite behind in a book deadline i mean that does help but i i require hours of alone time Mm -hmm. Or I face another human being, including right. my children. Right. <laughs> so I completely understand that. I also think that if you develop an understanding that home is not pe- where people are entertained, you know, people can come and go in this home. Mm-hmm. And there are certain places, and this is very important when you're talking about a home with children, you want to make sure that there are certain places in the home that are private retreats. Mm-hmm. That, that aren't open, you know, that aren't open for, for business. Right. And so I think it's extremely helpful. And that's part of why when you see hospitality 
as something that is an extension of a Christian marriage. You know, that is a, you've got a partner there that is helping you stay afloat with this. And so at this point, Kent and I have, we have the hospitality thing down. I don't think I could do it without him um, because we really, we, we just really cue off each other well and, and can understand some of the needs out there. But there have been some situations in our neighborhood that it's not only been a real blessing to us to, to be able to do this. And by blessing, I mean, when you have a hospitality home, you do not run off at the mouth in the way that you do when you think it's just us here. <laughs> you just don't do it. I mean, you may do, you're going to commit all kinds of other things, but that's not <laughs> one of those nights where you go to bed and you just wish that you could cut your tongue out because you are, you've spent the day in, in a company of people who don't track with you. Right. So it's extremely sanctifying in a very, very useful way. But, you know, we've had a situation in our community recently where having an already established hospitality home was crucial in an event that happened in our community that needed Christian care. You know, that's the thing, that if you don't have a practice of hospitality, when a crisis presents itself, you're just not really where you need to be to help your community in the way that they need. How can pastors encourage this kind of culture of this area? I'd say it sounds absolutely terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, by the way, do, do I remember in one of your books that you sing psalms on your front lawn? <laughs> <laughs> I sing psalms all the time. I think, you know, what on earth that is doing to the house prices in your area, I have no idea. What I say is, it's a great yeah. practice, but please don't move to the Philadelphia <laughs> Somebody would shoot you. Well, but, that, that could be instructive as well. I, I think it's going to get more and more dangerous to be a Christian. I think we might as well jump in now with both There you go. Um, I mean, as Reformed Christians, we want to emphasize the ordinary means of grace. Mm-hmm. How, how do we use those to specifically encourage the kind of community that you are describing, right. hospitality okay. community? Okay. Well, some means of grace, like the sacraments, speak to a bounded and a closed community, mm-hmm. uh, but not all of them. And I think what we need to do is stop being sacramentalists in the way we approach the means of grace. So about this time last year, we had a neighbor who was very reclusive. He was a little bit like the Boo Radley of <laughs> To Kill a Mockingbird, um, was able to use, this is really, really profound actually, could use the F word in almost every part of speech. <laughs> And he was right across the street. And over the course of the years that we had been neighbors, we had we had tried to break down some barriers. Um, and we had just started to get there. We were just starting to walk our dogs together. And we were just starting to have some meals together. And then we woke up one day and the DEA had surrounded um, our houses. And my neighbor was arrested for making crystal meth in his house. Mm. Whoa. Yeah, really a big deal. And our neighbors went ballistic. I mean, they really did. Our neighbors were so mad. They were so angry. And the day that the DEA surrounded 
the house with the crime scene tape. Our house is immediately, their houses are close together and our house was immediately next door and the police used our home as, you know, a kitchen and a bathroom and and neighbors, you know, throughout the day were pointing fingers at us. You know, you, you know, you were friends with this man. Mm. And uh, and we were, and we were, we, we loved him. And by the end of the day, you know, Kent and I were pretty much doing crisis counseling all day. And, and uh, by the end of the day, Kent turned to me and said, uh, I wouldn't have done this any differently. How about you? Mm. And I said, no, I wouldn't have done this any differently. And, and, and it was at that moment that Kent and I both realized that, that there's a price to be paid if you are known as the person who dines with sinners. Mm. When the neighbors can all go to the police and say, those people, <laughs> yeah. those them, they know him. Yeah, well, I think I read in a book once Jesus got killed for the people he ate with. <laughs> well, and I think that there was something very powerful about that. And then over the course of the, ye- of the year following, you know, we've had a series of gatherings in our home, barbecues outside, almost immediately, Kent just put it on the neighborhood listserv, you know, please come over this Lord's Day after three o'clock, we'll be home. We're going to host a barbecue so we can talk about what's happened. And really, Kent has become, in some ways, the ad hoc, you know, the unpaid pastor of the community here. Yeah, it sounds like it. And so much good has come from this, including neighbors learning how to forgive each other. Right. And my neighbor who, you know, in fact, we had just learned his last name, although we had, you know how neighbors are, you don't necessarily know people's last name. We just learned his last name um, when he was arrested. You know, my neighbor has committed his life to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, Kent's been able to visit him regularly. The kids and I write letters and, you know, we took in his dog. That would be the the hundred pound pit bull. That <laughs> no way. <laughs> it's like living with Eeyore. You know oh my I mean? goodness. Big and sad and great. You are getting a special place in heaven, Rosario. <laughs> um, we we did have to place the dog because our eighteen pound cat kept using <laughs> his nose as a pin cushion. So he actually he actually has had to find a new home. But he came back for you know he comes back on weekends sometimes. But <laughs> just saying, was it it wasn't anything special that we did except. Yeah we applied the means of grace to a crisis mm-hmm. and we were entitled to apply a means of grace. And specifically we entitled, I mean, Kent preached all the time from the right. picnic table. <laughs> from the picnic uh, table. We pray openly for our neighbors. We listen, we open the word, we open the Psalters and this is all pretty public. Um, yeah. It is North Carolina here and we spend most of our time you know, in that semi-open public-private places called, you know, porches and yeah. front yards. And, and But the only reason that we were allowed to do that is because the neighbors knew where to point the finger. Right. Those people, they are the ones who dine with sinners. And that's probably the best Christian witness any of us could have in a world that does not know what authentic Christianity is. They think of us as sentimental, self-righteous prigs. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And we're not that. Mm -hmm. Something happens, you know, with prayer, obviously. You know, this is not something, this is not a works righteousness campaign. There's no tips 
and trades. The book I'm writing right now has no recipes. I've never put sprinkles on a cupcake in my life. (laughs) (laughs) And what you're describing here is is the emotional and spiritual cost behind Mm -hmm. hospitality. And blessing. Do you know know what an investment it is in the lives of our children Mm. when they see a neighbor that the family has been praying for for years who obviously wasn't okay, but we never knew why, who has been arrested for a very serious, potentially deadly crime Mm. over the course of friendship and prayer and Bible reading and everything else becomes a brother in the Lord? Yeah. I mean, I don't know that you could give to your children a better investment in what real Christianity looks like and what it really means to have a savior, brother, rescuer, friend who uses the same power that he had used to raise himself from the grave, uses that same power bestowed through the means of grace so that you can love your neighbors and so that your neighbors can, in unity with you, glorify God with their lives. That's great. Yeah. Well, that's uh, great, Rosario. You've given plenty of tips for Todd to pass on to the pastor of hospitality at his uh, <laughs> mega church, oh, so that man. he can uh, delegate I, this. I apologize to, uh, for Carl. <laughs> those are in. Uh, no, it's been great to have you on. Absolutely terrifying, I have to say. The uh, the height at which you set the hospitality bar, terrifying for an American. Uh, just imagine how scary that is for an antisocial Englishman uh, to hear. But it's been great to have you on, Rosaria. Find a twelve-step program for you, Carl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the thing, one of the things that struck me when I moved to America is you, you buy houses and they're they're sort of open plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Britain, certainly in England, every room has a door. So you come to my house, the doors are shut. I only show you what I want to show you in my house. <laughs> so that's my kind of place. Anyway, that's, uh, but anyway, thank you so much for being on mm-hmm. the show, Rosario. We wanted to have you on for a long time. Uh, it was great to wind Amy up about uh, not being given the private jet to go to Todd's mm-hmm. church. Uh, like I won't so. let him forget it anyway. <laughs> oh, and I, let me just clear something up. Uh, none of that was at Rosaria's request, by the way. We just, we, but we, I did request. We, yeah, and that's why we denied it. But no, we, we just had somebody helping to organize the event who is not afraid to make the big ask to certain people in our community. And I just didn't think the same effort was was worth it for Amy. So <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. It was a good, it was a good call. Oh, <laughs> but anyway, thanks very much for joining us, Rosaria. Uh, please, if you're listening, visit our website, mortificationofspin.org. We have a number of Rosaria's books, uh, Openness and Hindered, to giveaway there if you'd like to sign up for that and also remember that uh, Mortification of Spin is a donor supported podcast in other words please give us your money um, <laughs> there's a an opportunity to donate on the website there I'm now going to make a special request of the producer that I would like us to close we haven't closed the Rolling Stones for a long time I think after all this hospitality stuff we need to close to hey you get off of my cloud which I think captures my own <laughs> philosophy of hospitality most accurately look forward to being with you all next time
Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... Even some of them were caught in that school, and they they still lied about what they had had done, and she came forward and told the truth. She showed true repentance. You know, it's such an otherworldly thing to say simultaneously. We hate sin. We hate what sin does. We take it seriously. We really believe what the Bible says about this sin. And we also believe that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more because of what Jesus has done. That's such a beauty of Christianity, you know, like that we could show that witness to the world. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Speaks the man with the pastor of heart. You've got a pastor of hospitality, haven't you? I. Do you really do? You shut up, you. <laughs> I am so tired of having friends that just don't love Jesus yes, very much. We, we delegate you know the know. guy who does Secretly I do not have a pastor of hospitality. I do have a pa- I, We have a director of care. <laughs> yeah, pastor of hospitality. And, you know, no, it's a, not hospitality. It helps us coordinate I our care because time. we care about people. Todd I'm not a racist. Secretly, I'm not, happens to be not like, the Nazi <laughs> You know, he was secretly thinking the whole podcast. I'm so glad that. Amy and Carl have been in my house now before we talked to Chris. Yeah, actually, oh my <laughs> gosh. Yeah, that's why you I would have never, I would have never heard, that, that, that's that's what the entire <laughs> program would have been about. Oh, did you know that Todd hasn't had me in his home? Allowed no, to you would have said it 15 times. in the heat and won't even let you in for the class. <laughs> Rosaria, have you been in Todd's home? Well, more than I've been in his home. <laughs>